Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. I could not be more excited than I am this morning to start this series. I, I, we're going to do something for about the next eight weeks. I really, I've been very instructed, and I don't know if you realize this or not, but all I do is I learn and then I teach you. That's how this goes. I've learned a ton in the last several weeks is getting ready for this, and I can't wait to share it with you. Um, brand new series called uh, Identity Crisis, and um, I want to try to help us get our head around the topic, <clears throat> and, and today is the introduction. So to begin, I want to do a little word association, okay? So here we go. We all know what an American is, right? Or at least we think we know what an American is. On the way out, <clears throat> I talked to someone who just spent the summer in South America, and they said, you know, you think you know what an American is until you go to South America and realize that they consider themselves Americans too. And they get offended when you call yourself an American and think they're not American. Um, so they had gotten a, a real uh, education. We know what an Egyptian is. We all know what a Canadian is. We all know what a comedian is. But what about this word? What about Christian? That, that video package that we just ran, it's interesting. You know, you go out to social media, you go out to the various uh, web browsers and, and, and search engines and things like that, and if you were to type in the word Christian and then try to get a definition, it's all over the map. I've seen people go on and say, what is a Christian on Facebook? And everybody and their brother thinks they know what a Christian is on Facebook and is happy to tell you. And um, it was interesting in that little video package, you saw t I saw two things. I saw one, a definition of Christian was respectable. So if you're respectable, you're a Christian. And then another definition I saw on <clears throat> the Facebook response, somebody said, it's a lifestyle. It, you know, Christian is, is kind of a lifestyle. Here, here's what I believe. I believe that if we broke you up into groups of 10 this morning and we sent you out um, to talk about what is a Christian among the groups of 10, I venture to say that none of you would come back, all 10 of you saying Christian is the same thing. I don't think that would happen. We'd be lucky if four or five of you came back and had the same answer. Probably most of us would have something a little different. Um, you, you wouldn't get the same answer 10 times. If someone walked up to you on the street and they said, are you a Christian? Some of you would say yes. Some of you would say, what do you mean? Some of you would say, yes, but, let me, I want to qualify. Some of you would say, no, but. Some of you would say, yes, but I'm not like that, or I'm not like them. For some of you, you became a Christian. Uh, some of you either prayed the prayer, or you were baptized, or you went through confirmation. You became a Christian because you prayed a prayer, or somebody told you that you know, because you were baptized, you were a Christian, or somebody told you, you don't remember it, we baptized you, you are a Christian, you just don't remember it. Um, I talked to those folks once in a while. Um, some of you were told, now that you have finished a class, now you're a Christian. Some of us were raised in traditions where we basically were taught that our brand was the true brand. You understand what I'm saying? Like, we're the right ones. Um, if you're Catholic, and, and, you know, you, here's your, kind of your attitude, this is what you're taught in your particular uh, faith upbringing, that you are the church, and anytime somebody mentions the church, then they're, they're talking about you. 
And, you know, you'd say, well, that would be us. I don't know about any of those other groups, but we're the church and, you know, we're the true brand. Those of us who are Protestants, we look at the Catholics and we say, they're so arrogant. They think they're the church. They're not the church. They're just a part of the church and, and uh, you know, like we're a part of the church. I, I was raised <clears throat> in the Christian church. If you were to look cross lane up in our uh, phone book, you remember what a phone book is? If you were to look us up in that, you would find that we are listed under Christian churches because I, I went to a Christian church, Bible college. This church was started as a Christian church. We just don't put that on the door. We want to be open. We basically have said we don't want to put something on the door and tell everybody that's not that particular brand, don't come here. Consequently, a lot of you come from all different uh, faith backgrounds. But I was raised in the Christian church. And, of course, we knew we were the true brand. And do you know how we knew? Because we were the only ones having church on Sunday night, right? All those liberal Episcopalians and Lutherans and Presbyterians and Methodists and, you know, their, door, their, their buildings were dark on Sunday night, but our church had the lights on. We had stuff going on, which made us the, the true brand. We were, we were the real Christians. Come on now, you know that. And so depending on how you were raised, there were all these different kinds of brands of Christianity, and everybody thinks that their brand was the true brand or is the true brand. Some would say this, I was a Christian, but I'm not anymore. I was a Christian. I was raised in a Christian family, and when I was a teenager, I went forward during the revival, and I prayed some silly prayer. You know, they talked about a car crash, and I was afraid I'd get killed in a car crash, so I prayed the prayer, and I went down there and prayed that prayer. And so for a while, I was a Christian, but I don't want to be that anymore. And then there's a group of you who say, oh, no, no, no. There's no such thing as was a Christian because once you're a Christian, you're always a Christian and there's no such thing as a was a Christian. And then others of you are like, oh, yeah, there is such a thing as was a Christian because you were raised to believe that if you did certain things, you was not a Christian anymore, right? There was a list of things that you couldn't do those things. And, and if you did, it was going to be a problem. You, you, if you did them, you were a was Christian. You weren't a Christian. And when you were like 18 and you were driving home from that date and you, you were a Christian and you'd been out with a non-Christian and on the way home, some non-Christian things had happened. And as you drove to your house after it was all over, you drove five miles under the speed limit, right? Because You'd been taught that if you did some of the stuff you had just done and you died on the way home, you would split hell wide open, right? Oh, no. And so you just wanted to survive long enough to get home so you could say a prayer that sounded something like, Dear Lord, please forgive me for what I just did. I'm back. I'm back. It was a constant state of am I or am I not? You know, I don't know if I am or I don't know if I, if I am or not. In fact, some of you were raised in a tradition where you had to pray a prayer to become a Christian, and you prayed that prayer like a hundred times, right? It was like Tylenol or Motrin or something. It was like, you know, I'm going to take this and hope it takes, and, and in case it didn't, I'm going to pray it like every day for a hundred days or something, hoping that eventually I can say that I'm a Christian and that it just takes. For some people, being Christian is about what you believe for other people, being Christian is about how you behave. <clears throat> so there's this debate about, you know, I believe this. No, I, I, I behave this way. No, it's about believe this. No, it's about behave that way. And it's so interesting. Here's a term that we use all the time and a word that many of us associate 
uh, with our, ourselves, and yet there are all these approaches and all this stuff around this word. And then there's a group of you, and if you're really honest, you would say, I hate Christians. You know, you, you, I mean, you're among us. I don't know how they got you here this morning. Did they drag you? I'm not sure how you got here. Maybe you just kind of let everybody think you're a Christian, but secretly you hate us all. And it's just like, I'm, one of these days, I'm never coming back. Um, you know, I hate Christian. I hate the whole word Christian. I don't like anything Christian. Um, I just don't like it. In fact, I want to give you, if that would describe you, I want to give you a full screen definition of how you probably or might see Christian. Okay, Christian people. Here, here's, here's the definition. Christians, judgmental, homophobic moralists who think they're the only ones going to heaven and secretly relish the fact that everyone else is going to hell. Can I get an amen? Right? I mean, somebody in here would be like, yeah, that's what I think when I think Christian. And, and you know what? Even if you don't feel this way, you probably know people that feel this way. You, you probably know people that when they hear the word Christian, it's like they just reach up and turn off the, off the power switch because it's like, you know what, uh, I, I'm not going to do that. And it, it, no matter how you were raised, you might say, you know what, that's kind of it. I, I don't want to be that. I don't, I don't want to be like that. But every time I, I hear the preacher, he kind of moves us in that direction. He kind of talks that way. And, um, which is why if someone walked up to you on the street, which they probably wouldn't do, but if they walked up to you on the street and asked if you were a Christian, you would be like, you know, can I qualify that? Can I, can I, I I'm going to answer it, but let me qualify. I'm not that, okay? I'm not that. I, I'm, yes, I'm a Christian, but don't associate me with that. I'm just kind of sort of somewhere. Now, here's the good news and the bad news. The good news is none of what we just talked about is described in the Bible as Christian. Okay, that's the good news. The bad news is everything you thought about Christianity is wrong. It is, and, and I'm going to show you that. I'm, I'm glad you're here. We're going to look at it this morning. After this message, <clears throat> some of you are not going to believe what I'm going to say. You're going to go home. You're going to get out your Bible. <laughs> and you're going to say, okay, there's no way in the world that that guy told us the truth this morning. There's no way. I, I, I heard him. I don't believe that. And see, I think if I can just drive you to go home and read your Bible, gold star for me, all right? I'm going to get a gold star on my chart. So some of you are going to go home, and you're going to call your real pastor, because you don't see me as your real pastor. There's some other dude that you think is way better and smarter than me, and that's fine. You're going to call him, and you're going to say, hey, I went to some church this morning, and here's what this guy said. Set him straight. Some of you are going to call your priest. I had one of my good Catholic friends walk out and say I was taking shots at the Catholics this morning. I'm not taking shots at the Catholics. If you're Catholic, I love you. We love you. You're welcome here. That's fine. But some of you are going to go home and call your priest, and, and you're, going to, you're not, probably not going to come back next week at all. I hope you will come back because this series is going to really teach us a lot. I have been so instructed. Here's what we're about to discover. The term Christian in all of its derivatives, you know, Christians, Christianity, the term only appears three times in the whole Bible. It only appears three times. It is not defined. In fact, we're going to discover today, <clears throat> this, this term Christian actually is a derogatory term that people who were outside the Jesus community used 
to describe the people who were in the Jesus community. The, the Jesus community never used this word, Christian, to describe themselves. It, it's kind of like <clears throat> the phrase deadhead. You know how we use deadhead or geek or redneck? I mean, I remember the time when if you got called a geek, them's fighting words, man. Let's go. And now they put geek on the side of the car, and it's like a business, and you want the geek to come to your house, right? I mean, it started out derogatory, and then all of a sudden people said, well, that's not so bad. I mean, they used to call rednecks. That was derogatory. Now dudes put redneck on their T-shirts, you know, like big hat. I'm a redneck, you know, like it's weird. It's just kind of strange. No idea where I was. Where was I? Actually, it's worse than that. There are certain words that we have in the past used to describe certain groups, and sometimes still those words are used by people who are not real informed to describe certain groups. And if I, if I were to make that analogy, it probably would offend you. It was people on the outside looking at the group, and the, you know they all act the same way, they have the same habits, they dress the same way like basically the same music, and you look at them and you go, and then eventually somebody comes up with a term and they label them that and they go, yeah, you're one of those. And that's what they did. They came up with this term Christian, and that's where the term Christian comes from. That is why it's only used um, three times in the New Testament, and all three times it's, it's, it's obviously the outside making reference to somebody on the inside, this group of people who are all acting the same way, following the same person. So I want to show you an example of that. I'm actually going to show you a couple of them. This verse describes it best. It's found in, in the book of Acts. If you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 11. Um, the book of Acts is an ancient manuscript, and it describes what happened when Jesus left, and it tells us how the church got started. I hear pages turning. That makes me a happy man when I hear those pages turning. In this, in this particular portion, one of the things that's happened is Jesus has left and a persecution has broken out in Jerusalem against these people that we tend to call Christians, but they called themselves followers of the way. That's how they referred to themselves. We are followers of the way. A persecution broke out against the followers of the way, these Jesus freak people. They scattered. Some of them went as far away as Turkey to a a city in that time known as Antioch, okay, a long way away from Jerusalem. And when they got there, they started telling the Jews and the Gentiles in this town of Antioch, hey, um, God has done something amazing and miraculous in the city of Jerusalem. There was this man, he actually was crucified, he arose from the dead. We saw him, not only did we see him, we know other people who saw him and saw what happened and so a bunch of Greek-speaking people, Roman people in the city of Antioch embraced this new cult, this knockoff religion from Judaism, and all of a sudden the church gets started over in Antioch. It's already gotten its impetus and its start in Jerusalem. Now it's over in Antioch and it's starting to get momentum over there. Well, word gets back to Jerusalem about what is happening in the city of Antioch and it gets back to the people like the brother of, uh, of Jesus. His name was James. It gets back to people like John and Peter and Matthew. All these guys that we read about in the Bible. And they find out that this thing's going down in Antioch. So they get one of their guys named Barnabas. And they say, Barnabas, we need you to go down to Antioch and check this out for us and see if this is the real deal or not. So Barnabas goes down to Antioch. 
He gets there, and it's a long way away. He gets there. There are so many followers of the way in Antioch. There's so many who have embraced this message, this story of Jesus. Barnabas says, I need reinforcements. I mean, there's so many of these people. I've got to go get some help. So he decides to go get super follower of Jesus, Paul. His name was Saul, and eventually he's going to be called Paul. He's eventually going to write a bunch of letters. His writings are going to make up basically two-thirds of the New Testament, if not more. And Saul was visiting his hometown of Tarsus. Barnabas goes to Tarsus to find Saul to bring him back to Antioch to be the reinforcements because there are so many believers now in Antioch. And there's this little snippet of Scripture that gives us some incredible insight into where the whole word Christian comes from. Here's what we read in Acts 11, verse 25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers. All these Greek-speaking people embraced the message of Jesus at Antioch. Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And then check out this next phrase. This is Dr. Luke who's taking notes on all this stuff going on at this time, here's what he says. The disciples, we'll we'll come back to that, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. The disciples were called by the people who were looking at all of this from the outside in. They said, those, you know, those, those Christians, ooh, ooh, who would want to be one of those? It was a term, it was a label that had been put on them. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now, we get further evidence of this from a really fascinating piece of history that is not in the Bible, believe it or not. Um, There was a Roman historian named Cornelius Tacitus who died in 117 AD. He wrote um, about history in the late first century. He wrote primarily about four or five Roman emperors And one of the emperors that he wrote about, in fact, most of what we know about this emperor was written by Cornelius Tacitus, and and he he wrote about this guy named Nero. You ever heard anything about Nero? Nero did something pretty extraordinary. In 64 AD, Nero decides, you know what, my country's messed up, my city's messed up. So I want to hit the reset button. I want to have a do-over for my city. I'm going to just change it. Now, don't you know presidents and, and councilmen and mayors wish, they, governors wish they could do that? Like hit a reset button and start over. Problem is, the way Nero decided to start over with the city of Rome is he caught it on fire. He sets the whole city on fire. He burns it to the ground. This makes people very angry. People lose their homes. People lose their businesses. They're really mad at Nero. So what does Nero do? Nero blames it on the... Christians. Now, do you know how you know that? You know that based on what I'm about to read to you. This little passage from Tacitus from the late first century. Listen to how he describes this. Here's what he says. Consequently, to get rid of the report, that is the report that Nero, you know, that he'd actually burned his own city down, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abomination. We're going to talk about that later. A class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. So again, Christians didn't call themselves this. This is the populace. This, 
Ooh. <coughs> Communion bread, that's not cool. That is not cool. The Christians did not call themselves Christians. This is the bourgeois. This is the, the, the big group. You know, this is the outside looking in. They're the ones who coined the term, um, that bunch of Christians. You know, like, ooh, we don't, we don't want to be that. Tacitus goes on. This is interesting. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, very interesting. These are Roman people looking at this Jewish knockoff religion, and they keep hearing the word Christ or the, or the phrase Christ. They hear Christ, Christ. So they decided that this must be the last name. So in their mind, it's like Joseph Christ and Mary Christ and Jesus Christ. It's like that's how he got his name. He's just like you got your last name. But, but it wasn't his last name. It was a title. The Hebrew word for Messiah translated into Greek, that's where you get the word Christ. So because they were Greek-speaking people, the church was growing, all these Greek-speaking, in this Greek-speaking world, and they just talked about Christ. They worshiped Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. So if you're a foreigner and you're listening to all that and you hear that over and over, well, maybe that's his name. So the whole movement was named really after the word Messiah as it's translated into Greek. So he goes on. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty. That's his way to say crucifixion. That was as bad as it got in the Roman Empire at the time. The extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius. The New Testament tells us that, that, that Tiberius was the emperor of Rome during the end of Jesus' life. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. That's written by Cornelius Tacitus. In Roman history, written in the first century, he said, hey, I want to tell you about something that went down in Judea you know that place where there, there was always trouble? There was this guy, he stirred up trouble, and, and Pontius Pilate had him crucified, had him put to death. This is one of the very few, in fact, one of the only really clear places in history where it's been written out where it tells us that Jesus was, was put to death and was crucified by Pontius Pilate. Now the point that I'm trying to make is this. These were outsiders looking at this movement, trying to come up with a name for it, and they called the people that they saw Christians. That's the title they came up with. But Christians did not call themselves Christians. They called themselves something far more terrifying. They called themselves something far more defined, something far more disturbing, and something far more convicting than Christians. One of the reasons that you can't get five people to agree on a definition for Christian one of the reasons that there, that, that there are so many facets of Christianity and spinoff cults and uh, different types of religions of Christianity, and one of the reasons that you get Christians on both sides of just about any argument or conflict, think about it, on just about every single issue, there are Christians on both sides. And the reason there are so many denominations and the reason we can't get along is because Christian and Christianity is not defined in the New Testament. It's just not. You can be a Christian and believe and do just about anything and nobody can go into the Bible and say, hey, that's not Christian. That's, you know, I'm looking at my Bible and that's not Christian because the word isn't used that way in the Bible. You know, you can't go in and say, aha, it says right here that a Christian should or a Christian shouldn't. 
But the New Testament doesn't say anything about Christians except the verse that I just read to you. They were called Christians. One time, Peter talks about being persecuted, and he uses the phrase Christian, but he's basically saying they're persecuting me as a Christian. That's how they see me, and they're persecuting me because of it. One other time in the Bible, Paul is talking to this king, and he's trying to make his case to this, to this king, and the king to whom he's making the case looks back at Paul and says, you're not trying to make a Christian out of me, are you? As if to say, don't try to put that label on me. I don't, I don't want anything to do with that label. It was a derogatory term. When you look into the New Testament, and the gospel specifically, there is a specific term that is used very, very consistently to describe these people. They were a part of the Jesus movement. It's a terrifying term, and the term is disciple. Disciple. And the reason that is a terrifying term, and the reason it should kind of disturb you, is because it is very clearly defined. See, you can hide behind Christian all day long. Being a Christian, not really a definition. I mean, you know, according to some of the websites, it's, it's just, it's being decent. It's a lifestyle. It's, it's, you know, it could be anything to anybody. Uh, you can hide behind Christi- Christianity. People go to war because of Christianity, in the name of Christianity. You can do all kinds of things in the name of Christianity. You can, you, you, you can define it. You can redefine it. You can misdefine it. You can undefine it. You can do all, things of, all kinds of things with Christian, but when you lock into this word disciple and you open your New Testament, you better look out because it's a different word. We talked about the passage in, 11, in Acts eleven twenty six. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. If you were to ask the followers of Jesus, what are you, they would not have said Christian. Disciple. I'm a disciple. That's what they would have said. The disciples who called themselves disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Now, from this point forward, you look in the New Testament and you're going to see this word over and over and over again, this word disciple. So what is a disciple? The English word disciple means the same thing that the Greek word means uh, disciple. The word is mathetas in Greek, and it simply means a learner or a a pupil, an apprentice, an adherent, a, a follower. A disciple is a person who does this. They're trying to make a decision, and they're your disciple. They look at you and they go, oh, this is the decision I'm trying to make? Is that the decision you'd make? Then that's the decision I'm going to make. Oh, I'm wanting to know how, you, how to do relationships? That's how you do relationships? Then that's how I want to be in relationships. Oh, that's, that's how you talk to people? That, then that's how I want to talk to people. Oh, when, when, when someone hits you, that's how you respond that when when things go bad that's how you respond then then i'm going to be that way see that's that's a disciple disciple is i'm going to watch that person and i'm going to try to be what that person is i'm going to try to do things the way they do it how do you talk then i'm going to that's how i'm going to talk how, how do you treat your your children then that, that's how i want to treat my children you know what, what we just want to take our cues from them a disciple is somebody that's looking to someone else to say give me direction Show me how to live my life, and my answer, and believe me, I understand how hard this is, okay? I know what I'm about to say is hard, very hard. I don't get this right all the time. You don't get this right all the time. But being a disciple is saying to Jesus, Jesus, I don't even know what's going to come out of your mouth. I don't know what you're going to ask me. I'm just telling you the answer is yes. 
before I even know what you're going to say, I just, Jesus, I want you to know I'm a disciple, and my answer to you as a disciple is yes. So are you Christian or are you disciple? In fact, the word disciple makes us uncomfortable. In fact, you're hoping at the end of this message, here's what you're hoping that I don't do. And I'm just going to tell you, I'm not going to do this, okay? But as I'm talking about this, you're sitting there thinking to yourself, he's going to come to the end of this and tell us we can't call ourselves Christians anymore. That now we've got to call ourselves disciple, and we're going to sound so stupid when we talk to everybody else, right? No, I'm not going to tell you that. You're, you're like, eh, man, that's just weird. I can't, I just can't do that. It's weird. This is my point, okay? It's kind of hard to dodge the word and misdefine and redefine and undefine the word disciple. Because a disciple in the New Testament is pretty clear. Here's some more examples for you. You find them throughout the New Testament. In Acts chapter 6, you, hear, you read this. So the word of God spread the number of, not Christians, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And then there's one about the Apostle Paul. This is pretty interesting. In Acts chapter 9, verse 26, when he came to Jerusalem, remember Paul has, before he becomes a Christian, he's been persecuting the church. He was a bad dude. He rounded people up, had them crucified, had them killed. I mean, people, the people of the way were afraid of Saul, uh, Paul. And when he becomes a follower of Jesus, the people don't buy it. They're like, no, he wants to infiltrate our ranks he wants to know who are the ones that are following Jesus, and he wants to have us arrested and killed, and we don't want anything to do with him. So Paul decides to join the church, and this is what we read. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. We're not talking about the 12. Okay, we're talking about just followers of Jesus, the large group. He tried to join the disciples, not Christians, they didn't use that term, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he, was, that he really was a disciple. That is how they described themselves. And then this is cool. There were actually disciplettes back in the day. Acts chapter 9. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. This is awesome. Women disciples. She was always doing good and helping the poor. So the point so far in this series is this. We can hide behind the word Christian, okay? That's easy. It's easy to call yourself a Christian. We can hide behind the word Christian, but if you look in the New Testament and ask the question, what were these people really about and how did they describe themselves? They referred to themselves and each other as disciples, which brings us to this terrifying, disturbing question, which is, are we disciples? Are we disciples? Or are we just Christians. Are you a disciple of Jesus or are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Jesus? If, is your answer, Jesus, yes. Before you even ask me, before I even know what it is, the answer is yes. Or are you a Christian? See, that is a little disturbing to me because I want to be a disciple, but if I'm totally honest with you, I don't know that I'm always ready all the time. I mean, you want to gauge your maturity as a follower of Jesus? Here's the question. Is the answer yes before I even know what Jesus is going to ask me? That's, that's how you gauge your maturity in Christ. Uh, Jesus, is, can, I'm, I'm just going to tell you yes before you even ask. So I want to do, as we close this first session this morning, and hopefully you'll come back next week. It's going to be interesting next week. Um, I'm going to do something a little different. We're going to 
um, we're going to look at, a, at an author, and, and I'm going to use some of what was written as a, almost as a text. It's, it's very interesting. But I want to I take you to a moment in time with Jesus where he speaks directly to people who want to be his disciples. And, and he gives them this, okay, if you're going to be a disciple and not just a Christian, here's the bottom line. Here's what it's going to take. If you don't hear anything else I say, he would say to him, or do anything else I do, here are your specific marching orders. And if we had just gotten this right, and, and this isn't the first, you know, this isn't new, what I'm going to show you. This is, you're not going to hear this and go, wow, that's new information. But if Christians had just gotten this right and said, forget Christian, I'm going to be a disciple. If we had just gotten this one element right, there may not have been a first world war. World war. There probably would not have been a second world war. Slavery probably would never have happened in this country and there would have been no need for a civil rights movement had we gotten this one thing right. If the followers of Jesus had actually followed not the Ten Commandments, not the New Testament, not everything that the Apostle Paul taught, even though that's all good stuff, if we had just gotten this one teaching right of Jesus, our world and our nation in particular would be a much different and a much better place. So here's what happens. Jesus is at the end of his ministry. He's about to have the last Passover with the apostles. He, you know, Judas has already left to go betray Jesus. And Jesus realizes, hey, I'm running out of time with these guys. And, and there's just a couple of things I need to tell these guys before I crucify them, before I get crucified and I exit this planet. And, and so it's kind of like this moment where he wants to leave them with this one last thing, which I kind of liken to whenever my kids were going to go away and spend the night with somebody and I didn't want them to embarrass me. And I would sit them down for that teachable moment. Okay, like, I want you to remember these two things. Okay, don't forget these three things that I'm going to tell you. Okay, you got them? You got those four things? Okay, five. There's, there's five things that don't remember these six things, okay? And so Jesus is like, okay, here's the one thing that you got to get right. Before I leave, you got to get this right. And here's what he says, John 13, verse 33. Listen to the intimacy of this. My children... I will be with you only a little longer. And now lean, on, lean in, you know, I'm running out of time. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. Now when he says, you cannot come, Peter's sitting there and he freaks out. Okay, Peter perks up. And he's like, what do you mean we can't come? Of course we can come. I'm, a, I'm your follower. I follow you everywhere. I, can, we can, I go wherever you go. What do you mean? You, you can't tell me I can't come. Is, is Andrew going? Because if Andrew's going, I'm going. Okay? Because I, I get to go if Andrew goes. And you're not going to leave me, are you? I mean, Peter, his mind is racing after Jesus makes that statement. Where I'm going, you can't follow him. Peter's like, oh, you know, his brain's like this big. He's just going crazy. Peter's obsessed with, you're going somewhere, and you just told me I can't go there. <laughs> And Jesus says that statement, and he just keeps moving. Look at this, verse 24. A new commandment I give you. This little Greek word, new, it can mean an awful lot of different things. Unusual, it can mean strange, it can mean odd, impractical. It can mean, you know, I never thought of that before. A new commandment I give you. And the thing is, most of you know what it is that I'm about to say next. Most of you spent most of your time in church, and you've heard this before. You kind of know what's coming next. You could probably quote it. And it's really not that new on the surface, but, it's, but Jesus is saying, okay, guys, 
lean in. You're my guys. We had 12. Now we're down to 11. I got to get this out before we lose any more because we're down. You know, it's going to be fewer than that. A new commandment I give you, love one another. Love one another. And they're thinking, that's not new. I mean, the Old Testament even kind of talks about that a little bit. And Jesus, we've heard you say that before. Love one another. A new commandment I give you, love one another. And then he elaborates and he says this, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. As I have loved you. And now the rest of the disciples are going, wait a minute. As he's loved us, that's a game changer. Okay, that's a game changer. Because here's how that would go down. Jesus would look at Matthew. Matthew, Matthew, you remember when we met? You remember what you were doing when we met, Matthew? What were you doing? I was a tax collector. That's right, you were a tax collector. Everybody hated you. Peter, do you remember the day we met Matthew? Mm-hmm. Yep, I remember. Peter, do you remember you didn't even want to talk to Matthew? You didn't want to be around him? You thought he was horrible? You thought he was a traitor and, and, and turned on his people? And remember where we went after I met Matthew? Do you remember? And John goes, I know where we went. John, where did we go? Where did we go when we met Matthew? We went to Matthew's house. That's right, we went to Matthew's house. John, who was at Matthew's house? A bunch of people that my mama told me that I should never be around. We went to, we went to Matthew's house, and there were all these people there, and my mama told me I'm not supposed to be around people like this, and here I am following Jesus, and he led me right, you led us, Jesus, you led us right into them. There was all these people that we weren't supposed to be around. Yeah, and do you remember the, the conflict between you guys? Remember how I managed that? Guys, do you remember how I loved Matthew? Nathaniel? You remember the day I met you, Nathaniel? Remember that, in fact, the rest of you don't know this about Nathaniel, but, but the day I met Nathaniel, and his brother's here, and he can testify to this, you know, Nathaniel's brother runs up to, to him, and he says, hey, Nathaniel, I think I just met the Messiah. Come with me and meet him. He's from Nazareth. Nathaniel, do you remember what you said? I don't, I don't know if you remember or not. Nathaniel, I'm going to tell you what you said. Nathaniel, you said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel, you dissed my whole family. And Nathaniel's just hanging his head. Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Okay, you remember the day I did the whole vampire sermon where I talked about this is my blood and this is my body and and when I said that, everybody got mad and they started to leave and nobody wanted to be around me anymore and everybody is abandoning us and you won't admit this, but you guys wanted to leave me too. You remember that day? Come on, guys, be honest. You know you wanted to leave me and I knew it. You remember how I treated you? You remember how I accepted you? Do you remember how I loved you and forgave you? Love one another. That's what I want to characterize your relationship with each other. <laughs> and then he said this, by this, by this one thing, by this dynamic, by this one relational breakthrough, everyone will know that you are, what is the next word? My disciple. See, Christian, anybody can do that. Anybody can do that. Just slap a cross around your neck and, you know, 
Anybody can do that. Love each other the way Jesus loved the people around him. Ooh. Now I'm in a different subset. How do I defend that? By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. And then just in case they missed it, if you love one another. So I know you're all Christians. Are you disciples? And then here's my favorite part of the passage. Jesus has just blown them away with this big idea. Jesus is like, okay, it's not how much you know. It's not how often you go to synagogue on Saturday. It's not any of that stuff. The one thing, the test, the bottom line of this whole thing, you know, the defining characteristic of the people that are going to follow me is not going to be how much they know about me eh, or how loud they sing or how long they pray. Eh. It's going to be all about how they love one another. That is the big deal. And then then Peter raises his hand and Jesus goes, yeah, Peter, what's on your mind? Look at verse 36. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? You know, this love thing's awesome, but where are you going? I want to know where you're going because I want to go with you. Peter, did you just miss everything that I just said? Did you just miss the whole lesson? And Peter's like, yeah, you know, but I'm I'm going with you. I'm willing to die for you. I want to be seen with you. I want to be on your left or your right or behind you. I want to be close. You can't leave me. I'm going with you. And later Jesus is going to say, look, Peter, there's going to come a point in your life in the not too distant future where a middle school girl is going to intimidate you and you're going to deny that you even know me. Peter, and Peter's going to say, no, Lord, I'm willing to die for you. And Jesus is going to say, look, Peter, I don't even care if you follow me, okay? That's not what I want right now. I don't want you to die for me. I don't want you to follow me. I don't want you to go where I'm going. I want you to do something that is way more difficult than any of that. And Peter's like, well, what could be more difficult than that? And Jesus says, I want you to love these guys right here the way I have loved you. I want you to love them in such a way that when people look at your relationship from the outside, they say, wow, look at them, love each other. I want them to be drawn to the edge and look in and say, what is that? I've never seen anything like that. And I, don't, I, want, to, I want you to create a community of people that are defined and characterized by that kind of unconditional, generous, ridiculous, compassionate, who in the world would do that kind of love? I want them to see you and say, look how they treat each other. Look how those men treat their their wives. Look how those wives treat their husbands. Look how the parents take care of their kids. Look at how those kids honor their parents. Look at the way they treat their slaves. Look at how the slaves respond to them. Look look at how their workers work for them. Look at how they treat sick people. Wow, amazing. Look what they do with their money. Look what they do when other people say horrible things about them. Look what they do when someone smacks them on the cheek. It's almost like they don't even fear death. Look at them love 
And Jesus says, I want you to grow communities like that, and they're going to grow, and they're going to expand, and people from the outside are going to be drawn to the edge, and they're going to think, you know what, I don't know if I want to be one of them, but if that's the way they treat everybody, I want my, my husband, my son, to be a husband to a woman like that. Because look at how they treat their husbands. I want my daughter to marry one of those guys because look at how they treat them. I, you know, I don't, I don't know that I want to be one, but man, I hope my daughter finds somebody like that. Look at the way they love. Can you imagine in your community, in the marketplace, in your neighborhood, if we just got this one thing right and we decided, forget Christian, I'm going to be a disciple. And we're not going to be a disciple that does everything in the New Testament. I mean, that'd be great. But I'm just talking about this one thing. We're just going to focus on and be disciples that decide, you know what, I'm going to love the people around me the way Jesus treated the people who followed him. Imagine if we all did this. If every family, if every husband and wife son and daughter, every couple parented their kids this way for just three months. And they said, you know what? We are going to be ridiculous lovers of each other. We are going to serve. We're going to be generous. We're going to shut our mouth and not criticize and not give people reason to look at us and cast aspersions on the name of Jesus. Can you imagine what would happen in our nation if for the next three to six months we were the people who said, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a disciple, and I'm going to love the people around me the way Jesus loved people. Can you imagine what would have happened if we just got this one thing right? See, Jesus knew what would happen. We can talk about all kinds of different stuff, but at the end of the day, by this one thing, by this distinguishing characteristic, this is how they're going to know that you are really my follower how long you pray, that's not going to do it. How long you preach, no. What do you do on Sunday morning? Here's the question. How do you love one another? Whew. It's hot in here. Let's go home. It's, I got two things before you go home. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to try to do this. Okay? I want you to try to do this this week. I know you're surrounded by idiots. Okay? I know that. Um, everyone's an idiot but you I know that but what would it look like what would it look like if you loved all the idiots around you what would it look like if you loved them the way Jesus has loved you I, I'll just tell you this Jesus had Peter okay if if you just loved everybody the way Jesus loved Peter Peter was could be kind of an idiot kind of like us I mean Jesus did not use that as an excuse and, and I'm just going to tell you Jesus got crucified for what he did. So if you think that loving people is an innocent, not going to get you in trouble thing, when you go loving the wrong people, and you go accepting the wrong people, people that other people who might wear the name Christian would look at you and say, don't love those people. They're not our people. What are you doing loving people like that? Loving people got Jesus crucified. He did not look religious enough to the people in his world, okay? Not talking about looking religious. We're talking about loving people. And don't do it and go, well, you know, I tried it for 10 days and it didn't work. This is not a means to an end, okay? We're not trying, this is just, this is how we're going to be. This is how Jesus changed the world. How he toppled an empire without firing a shot. Number two, if you think Christians are what we put on the board earlier, narrow-minded, homophobic, greedy, judgmental, hope everybody 
else goes to hell. You know, if that's what your definition, if, if you kind of come in this morning and you're not really one of us and you're thinking, man, I Christians just ooh, don't want anything to do with them. Okay, I may never be able to talk long enough to get you to see Christian and redefine it in a different way. I get that. But please, please, please don't look at the followers of Jesus and miss Jesus. Don't miss Jesus. Don't pay attention to the followers. We're screwed up, okay? We're trying. We're trying to be disciples. We're going to mess it up. Don't miss Jesus. There's a huge difference. All of us fall short. All of us fall short. I'm not consistent. You're not consistent with what we believe. And so there is this common ground, Christian or not, where we have to figure out what to do with our failure, with our sin, and with our disappointment in ourselves. And it sometimes puts a distance between us and God. And I would hate that Christianity has been so poorly represented to you that all you saw was Christianity and you did not see Jesus. Please don't let that happen. I'm not better than you, okay? <laughs> I'm not. I'm a mess. Jesus came so that I might have life and he came so that you might have life and have it abundantly. Let's love like Jesus. And it's going to cost us, okay? It's going to cost us. I hope you'll come back next week. Let's pray together. Father, Christian, everybody says they're a Christian. Disciple, that's harder. That's defined. We can see that in the Bible. We can see what it costs to be a disciple in the Bible, and there is a cost. Lord, loving people the way you love people costs you your life. And I'm not sure that there's many of us in the room that are willing to love people to the point that, that somebody would want to kill us. We don't even want to love people to the point that somebody's going to say something bad about us. Lord, would we just not care anymore? Would we just leave here today and say, you know what? Forget everybody else. I'm going to love people the way Jesus loved people. And it's going to be hard because I'm surrounded by idiots. But I'm going to love them. Because you love this idiot. And you've been relentless in your pursuit of me. And you're reckless. You've abandoned it all just so you could come get me and save me and all of us in this room. And so, Father, we have nowhere to go but to follow you and to love people the way you love people. Father, we cannot do it without your help. We need you. And we beg for your help now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said.